0: Listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is straight out of Vegas, with the voice of Vegas. Your host, R.J. Bell. Me girl, me <laughs> more more. Me girl, me the pregame show America has always wanted. I the I the From the Vegas strip here's RJ Bell. Is straight out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! With the voice of Vegas, your host, RJ Bell. Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. And now, here's RJ Bell.
1: You heard it, I'm RJ. Live on a Wednesday, live from Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. In studio, Full House, Steve Fazek, and and Maddie Holt from U.S. Integrity, former bookmaker. He booked billions. He's reforming. Reforming. Is there like a bookmakers anonymous kind of thing where <laughs> where you go there and say, I used to uh, take ten to win eleven, but I don't anymore. <laughs> no, no. Do you, Do you ever miss getting? You know, only have to win forty eight percent of the time and still profiting. Yes. <laughs> That's how hard it is to beat these guys. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans, to know more than their buddies, we're the pros. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox.
2: Always good to be here, RJ, and yes, on a day in which we inch closer to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. All sorts of matchups to preview, but what is the Vegas lead here on this Wednesday?
1: You know, NBA jumped the queue, as they say. To me, this hardened trade... What we're saying, what Vegas is saying, is the Nets, even with the Kyrie uncertainty, the Nets are the second most likely team to win the title. And this started with LeBron and Miami and the super team there. And ever since, it's been how do you aggregate three superstars, at least, has been the model. And the Nets certainly meet that criteria, even with all the uncertainty.
2: Yeah, it was a blockbuster deal earlier today. The Houston Rockets trading former MVP James Harden to the Brooklyn Nets. It was a four-team deal with uh, with the Cavs and the Pacers also involved. But the big deal in this trade is Brooklyn sending three unprotected first-round picks plus four pick swaps to Houston in exchange for Harden.
1: Okay, first thing, open question. Does the fact that once I heard about the trade – I didn't really care what they sent back other than if one of the superstars had been sent, you know, if somehow Durant had been sent. Yeah. But other than that, four first rounders, six first rounders, two first rounders. Does anyone care? And if not, doesn't it show maybe something's wrong? Because remember, there is a salary cap, but also a max contract. Like, he's going to get this max. He's going to get this super max. Well, when Jordan was around, they also had a max and if you think about it they said Jordan probably would have been worth 70 you know 60 70 percent let's say the salary was a hundred million for the team Jordan gets 70 mm-hmm. right? that probably economically is correct today uh, LeBron what would he get 50 55 40 I don't know but when they lock it at 30 or now it's moving towards 40 but when it's Unnaturally capped. It's it's by fiat, by governance. They say you can't pay him more than this. That means unnaturally those people are underpaid. It's LeBron is underpaid at the max. Durant Healthy is underpaid at the max. And thus, trading for a guy that might be a max guy, you're getting a great deal. You're getting an asset that might be worth 50 million, 60 million a year, and you only have to pay him 40, and thus you're willing to give up draft choices. Wouldn't this be more interesting if there was a salary cap, but not a limit on the players? Yes. And that you couldn't do a naturally get three players together. What do you think?
3: Absolutely. And let's face it, the top eight players in the NBA, they're all worth right around five points per game. And if you got to pay someone about half of what you're paying those guys just to get a guy worth one point
4: a game.
1: That's interesting. So let's call 40 the top at this point. You're saying the best, and not that every top guy's getting the max, max, but generally they are, right? So you're saying 40 million, you get five points above average. This isn't five scoring points, but over an average player, five points better. Yes. And you're saying to be a $20 million guy, so half the max. That guy's worth about a point a game. Yes. So you either should, and this is what these teams do. They say, we're going to pay everyone replacement level except for as many of these super elites we can get, and we can add up to X points per game over average quicker, three times five, let's say, in a perfect world. It's 15 points better. If everyone else is average, you've got the best team in basketball. It seems like the Nets are doing this right, but isn't there a flaw in the system? What do
4: you think, Manny? We've seen it work both ways. Obviously, it worked for a while in Golden State. As long as everyone stays healthy, I think it's proven that it works. And it's- if
1: Durant would have stayed, in theory, they would have been the favorite the next I mean, except for Durant
4: being hurt. And he was going to be out the year with the Achilles yeah. injury. Again, as long as guys stay healthy, I think it's been proven that the system works. In fact, there's a well, lot this approach works. Yes, because there's a lot more instances of it succeeding than it failing. Now, the idea is what happens when it doesn't, when they don't stay healthy? Well, now you have an epic disaster because you don't have any flexibility. Yeah,
1: and, and but to me, the health thing is just kind of the breaks It's of random. The game. Yeah, yeah, It's I, random. I think some people are injury prone, but I'm not sure they're as injury prone as we think. Like, LeBron seems would be able to fall from a uh, two-story building, get up and stretch and be fine. So let's give him credit for that. I mean, if anyone wanted to bet me Durant versus LeBron, who's going to mix 20 straight games first? I'll take LeBron if anyone thinks there is no predicting this. Mm. I think most people would agree LeBron's a favorite not to get hurt over a Durant. But in general, there's a lot of luck.
4: Huge randomness to it.
1: We're straight out of Vegas. So Jonas, when I think about the NFL, to put just a little context to this question— I like the idea that the Houston Texans are suffering for trading for Tunzel. Because at the time, it felt like two number ones was too much, their left tackle, it is too much. And now the third pick is going to Miami, I think that is. And it's like everyone's lamenting how bad that trade was. I've never heard a trade for an NBA superstar lamented. Meaning, what's get? I mean, almost you could say with the Clippers, because they gave up so much to OKC to get Paul George. But I'm not even sure that's lamented that much. They're the third favorite right now. Do you like the current system, or do you wish the number ones meant more?
2: I just think that it's it's a numbers game. In the NFL, there's so many players on the field at one time that you need more players to make an impact. In the NBA, if you've got two really good players, that's 40% of your starting five. You can do a lot with that. If you've got three, so the majority of your starting five are top ten, top eight players in the league, you're going to do really well. I just, the personalities and, and the Harden and Kyrie thing, is is the biggest question and the no. most fascinating part of this thing for me. That's that's the one. The other one, you can look at these draft picks like lotto scratchers. We don't know what they're going to yeah. be until you scratch them off. You know what Harden is, but with everything going on with him this year and then you mix that with Kyrie and that whole situation, I have no idea what to expect.
1: I'm going to wait till tomorrow to talk X's and O's because I'm not an NBA expert when it comes to that level. I'm like Hubie Brown. Thus, I like to listen to the guys I trust and aggregate that info and provide it to you. And we'll do that tomorrow. But I know this much. Ball-centric, the idea they do better with the ball. Harden is the most ball-centric superstar I think we've ever seen. And Kyrie likes the ball. Now, Durant can spot him up. But, boy, it, it feels like the move would be, you almost like Pippen did with the Bulls, Pippen used to be the lead scorer of the second team, so him and Jordan wouldn't overlap a ton. They'd start the game, they'd end the game, and, you know, start the third quarter. But otherwise, it was Pippen was the scorer. He was, like, the superstar of the second team. Boy, Kyrie, I think, in theory, would be a really good kind of ball-hoggy type guy to lead the second team. But can you imagine him doing that?
2: No. you and know, and that, Jonas,
1: you make such a good point.
2: Well, and here's the other thing. I haven't heard – it would be one thing if these guys were all getting together because they're like, you know what, we got to win a championship. Well, Kyrie's already got one. Durant's already got a couple. I haven't heard James Harden say, unless I miss something, I want to go somewhere where I can win a championship. It just feels like he wants to go someplace and have fun because he was sick of Houston. That's what it feels like to me, which is which is yeah. bizarre. And
1: plus, he didn't really have a choice in theory. Right? I mean, he didn't have a no trade. So who knows yeah. how happy he was or wasn't about that? I mean, he might say what he's going to say now. He, you know, Harden was the sixth man of the year in 2012. Yeah. Is he going to revert back to that kind of player? I, I, I'd be shocked there. And remember, Harden's getting older. So, in a way, there's nothing tougher. Big Ben and the Steelers see this of a superstar that starts to lose it because they still got the mentality of a superstar. But they don't have the skills of a superstar, and I'm not saying Harden's there yet. Thirty-one. But I mean, I'm saying he does. You know, from the rumors, and we'll say allegedly, he likes the <laughs> nightlife. You know, I don't think he's sleeping in the chamber like LeBron is. That that they fly in a separate plane everywhere that he goes. But <laughs> we're straight out of Vegas. Let's talk about Kyrie. I got two thoughts on this. One, and I'm not one to t- I'm not one to say, "Hey, everyone, let's be adult." I think we have human emotions and. The guys that are always worried about every possibility bore me on, on air. But let's admit, Kyrie, you know, it's possible all's not right in, you know, with him. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean it's negative. I mean it as in there could be a psychological issue here that he needs help. And if so, we don't want to laugh at it or make fun of it or anything. Let's accept the fact that's possible and accept the fact that we don't know. And set it aside and do some laughing. No. And set it aside and say the following. I saw a couple NBA players on the various shows saying, this is unacceptable what he's doing. He shouldn't do this to his team. So they're taking a hard line. And now the question is this. When has he ever been told no? Or any superstar been told no? The idea that he's mad over not deciding who the coach is. And apparently... When they got this coach, it, the idea was that he was going to be a very player-friendly, a coach, right? A guy that everyone liked. So, in a way, when I looked at the Nets, I thought to myself, the guy they fired, like with ten or fifteen games left, do you remember his name, Jonas? Last year,
2: oh, uh, Kenny Atkinson.
1: That's it. He yeah. was known as a really great coach. Like I, I bet one day he wins a title. was from what I'm reading. He was just hard, hard-nosed, old-school. And the players just didn't – remember, he took that team when everyone was injured. Yep. And, 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 re, and even the year before Kyrie came, the year before they even made the two signings, they yep. made the playoffs, if I remember. And yeah, it was, it, it,
2: D'Angelo it was, Russell was, was the guy who went there and became an all-star.
1: Yeah, and yeah. they played, it was like a real overachievers, right? Yeah. Then you get the superstars in, and Durant's out for the year. Kyrie's like, oh, he wants us to be a practice on time. You know, like there was <laughs> some pretty hardcore, in theory, stuff, and they got rid of him. And then they hire a former player to think, okay, he's going to be player friend. And he's mad because he wasn't in on the meetings or something. It's like, if this is the current reality, I don't blame Kyrie. He's been enabled. Why would you ever think, if every room you ever walked into, everyone said, hey, do you want a drink of my drink? Do you want some of my food? If you were the king of the place, how would you learn anything other than being the king of the place? I mean, so as much as I think it's absurd, it makes sense. And if we want to change this entitlement of the athletes, the culture around them has to change. As in, not us as fans, we're fans. We're going to love them if we like the team. It's the ownership and the league's got to get control of this, I think. What do you think, Jonas?
2: He's just a flake. I mean, and but, and, this, and he might have some issues going on. And if he does, I'll apologize afterwards. But you can go all the way back to he was at Duke. He only played a handful of games. And there were injuries, and that's fine. And injuries have been an issue at times throughout the course But how of has career. he ever been punished for that? Exactly. So when he did... S- yeah. He gets rewarded by being drafted number 1 overall, he gets rewarded by getting LeBron James in a title, he gets rewarded by being traded to the Celtics. If it's not his body failing him, it's 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 his decision making. I'm going to be here long term in Boston. He ended up not signing there long term and he was a disaster. Then he uh, goes he just goes back and forth on whether he's all in or whether he's not all in. It just he's always conflicted with something, always.
1: And I agree with all of that. And I also agree, at what point, if it was you, and again, I put you up on a pedestal in a way as a hard worker, a guy that doesn't get stars in his eyes. I mean, you know, I know you asked me for the autograph the one time, but it was just the one time. <laughs> but all joking aside, do you think if you were him, at what point? Understanding you would have had the same upbringing, too, when you were 11, 12, every room you walked into, hey, that guy's going to be in the NBA. I mean, that's how it was, the idea of him saying, I'm going to get really tough, and I know they'll let me do this, but I'm going to choose not to because I'm so dis— I'm not sure I could have done that. I, I don't know if I could either. So, in a way, we can hate his actions, but it's hard to blame him. I think you blame the system. I really do. We're straight out of Vegas. Last thing, Maddie. So, what you do at U.S. Integrity is you have data feeds coming in from you know, dozens of sources, even more. And you look for strange betting. And the amount bet on this game and the amount bet on that. And Integrity isn't in finding the guys doing something illicit. It's a great business. And you founded it. But you know the action. How much NBA action is there this year, just in a week, relative to prior years? Is there more? Is there less?
4: Well, what we've seen is a little less. And some of it's because games are getting canceled. People are sick of getting refunds on those last-minute cancellations. And, and basketball is a lot harder than football to manage through and get the games played. So if you get any COVID cases, a lot of times it leads to cancellations, which leads to refunds and a bad customer experience. But but on the other side but of it, is it significantly less? Or just no, so- no, it's close. But in, a, in an era where everything's growing so rapidly, you expect the NBA's Growth to be right on par with everyone else. And I think it's probably um, growing a little bit slower than some of the other sports.
1: If you had to guess when football's over, and remember now, after this Sunday, there's three NFL games left. That's it, right? So I mean, we're at the point where the NBA and you know college basketball, in theory, starts to take center stage. Do you think that transition will happen as it normally does, or do you think it might be a little bit uh, because we have compressed, you know, since uh, August, early August, we've compressed kind of the end of the NBA and are people going to be kind of tired you think or do you think that they're going to be like okay what do I bet this Saturday what's your guess
4: I do think college basketball regular season is going to be a bit down and and look March Madness does four times as much handle as the Super Bowl granted it's 64 games long the entirety of it um, but the problem is with regular season college basketball in February this year is we're used to November and December building collegiate star Zion and the next great guy we can get behind and we didn't do that this year we didn't have have that big November December buildup, and the the biggest stars in the game play at Baylor and uh, Gonzaga you this see. year instead of Duke and Kentucky, and and cool. thus yeah, we're it's... not pushing those Duke stars or Kentucky stars. It's Gonzaga's number one; they have the best players. They're Baylor's number two, clearly, um, and the, we just haven't had a chance to build up to to it as we normally have this year.
1: To me, the analogy, and we can always go back to the Big East and Patrick Ewing. And I was a kid. When you're a teenager, all that stuff is more important, right? The big, big Mondays were big, right? You don't have to worry about mortgages or whatever. You're watching, you know, Syracuse and Beheim versus Georgetown, and you know the idea that Ralph Sampson was in colleges for I think four years. The idea that Ewing was for four years. He played in a title game when he was a freshman. You got to know those guys. Yep. Then they went to the pros, and it was a big deal, and it was interesting because that Wayman Tisdale type wouldn't, you know, dominates a college but doesn't dominate the pros, and it was always you know Coleman and all that interesting stuff. You don't have time for that now, but it's more like because there's only the one year for the really good players typically. But it was more like the Olympics to me prior to this year, which is, I don't care about luge or many of those sports, even track and field, which I enjoy when I watch it. I don't know who won the 100, if Usain Bolt wasn't involved or whatever. But during the Olympics, what NBC would do so well is get you engaged, make it personal. And all of a sudden, now you cared about that guy. College basketball, even for a short period of time, can accomplish that. But you're saying we don't even have that time this year. That's, it might hurt March Madness, but it also might hurt the NBA next year because if you don't have known guys going in... How are you interested in the rookies?
4: Even mm. the one-and-done error. I mean, we saw Zion in a one-and-done, the amount of publicity around it, but we you have, there has to be some build-up. You have to get to know them, even if it's for a brief period, and we just have had no build-up this year, and it's unfortunate.
1: And I think that all the leagues are taking the, the myopically, short-sightedly looking at, how do I make the most money tomorrow? And sometimes that decision is different than how to make the most money in the next five years. And listen, these are billion-dollar leagues. They know what they're doing, it does feel like that in the NBA, if you go straight there, which they're saying is going to happen soon enough, yeah, in theory, if you're LeBron, you're going to still get attention. But what about the guys that would have been the eighth or ninth best player in college basketball? They would have gotten attention in college. They won't get attention getting 15 minutes a game in the NBA. So then you're out of stars. We've seen that in boxing. when everything. And Jones, last thought, you know this better, because you know UFC, you know boxing. When there wasn't the idea of weekly free fights to get to know people... And that's what the contender tried to do, but it didn't work. All of a sudden now, once Mayweather retires, once Pacquiao retires, you don't care to see any pay-per-view because you don't know any of the stars.
2: Yeah, it's tough. And also there was, for the longest time, the lack of a heavyweight champion, and everyone looked at the heavyweight champion like a god. He was the guy. And it was like, well, you mean i got to get to know these guys that fight at 125 pounds or 126 pounds? If you love the sport, you love those divisions because they were the best fights, but they just didn't generate the interest that the heavyweights did.
1: No doubt. And there's something about the heavyweights. And Ali used to tell his little kid in the crib, he goes, your daddy's the toughest man on the earth. (laughs) Because when you're the heavyweight champion, in theory, you're the toughest man on the earth. When you're 130 pounds, it's harder to believe that. It might be true, but it's harder to believe. When we come back, we said it in the headlines,
0: six NFL teams all with a real chance to win the title. We're going to go through all the games.
1: We're straight out of Vegas.
2: And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of You, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a closer look at this weekend's divisional round in the NFL playoffs.
1: Yeah, and we're going to start with the Packers game. Matty Holt, who joins us every Wednesday, pretty much, behind the counter for many years, he's now in integrity, as they call it, and he's seen the flow of money, has an interesting point, which I now agree with on this Packers-Rams game. Big move. Big line move. Great day to join. This is the fastest-growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences doubled in the last year plus. Thank you so much for the support. We're going to finish this great football season strong. You can listen to us on the iHeartRadio app. Just search straight out of Vegas. Here in Vegas on the strip, 61 degrees. The neon is flowing.
2: So, RJ, the divisional round of the NFL playoffs kickoff in Green Bay, where the Packers, fresh off a of buy, the number one seed in the NFC, host the LA Rams right now. Green Bay, a six and a half point favorite on pregame.com.
1: What does a line move mean? Okay. So, think of it like this it's a bid and an ask, like in an auction. Another way to think about it is how much are people willing to pay for the Packers? How much are you willing to pay for the Rams? Just like an auction.
4: I got 75, i 80 80. 80, 80, 80.
1: So seven and a half was the first kind of bid or ask, I guess. And it was like people said, oh, no, 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 we don't want Green Bay at seven and a half. We want the Rams at seven and a half. Rams, 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 gobble, gobble, gobble. So now we're saying, hmm, we got to make the Rams less attractive and we got to make Green Bay more attractive. So instead of laying seven and a half, we're going to make it seven. And you know what? Gobble, gobble, gobble. Give me Rams, give me Rams, give me Rams. And it went to six and a half. So, on the surface, you would say, hmm, everyone loves the Rams. That's not correct. If you go to pregame.com, go to the Game Center, we have, I think it's the only free version, but it was certainly last year, but we have the cash splits for free. So, you can say, right now, and this is our sources, and we've got... Almost a million dollars of bets already nine hundred twenty one thousand on this game. And again, we got it from our sources. Not that we're taking the bets, but they come in. And our sources say eighty three percent of the cash is on Green Bay. Wait a minute, you're saying it was seven and a half. Green Bay had to get made more attractive because people was betting the Rams. But eighty three percent on the Packers. What's going on? You've got a great point on this, Matt.
4: Yeah, I I think this is really it's made me wonder the entire time. There's there's real sharp money here. But normally you'd expect to see 85 percent of the money on Green Bay and 15 percent early on the Rams. But the sharpest bettors may be on the Rams and the line would go down. But in this case and, and the line would have stayed at seven. But I think in this case, what happened is it's not really in a lot of places eighty five percent of the bets,
1: and that's an important point to be made. Is we've got a source or multiple sources, but right now there's we can say exactly nine hundred twenty one thousand on it. That's almost a million dollars. That's a lot of money, but in the scheme of what's been bet across the country and the world, yeah, hundred million. That's a bro. tiny piece. So you've got your sources saying maybe these numbers are closer to 65, 35 But even so. The listeners thinking, okay, 80, 65, whatever, it's a majority of the money on Green Bay, but somehow the line's moving as if the Rams is the right side. And you think it's because those betting the Rams are betting, we call it booking faces. And that mean well what you you're the billion dollar former bookmaker what is booking faces
4: Sure I mean every bookmaker uh, at least uh you know uh, evaluates all their players for what players win what What's players it mean lose. when they bet Yeah what is their line valued in compared to closing lines and um, and in this case the sharpest bettors are on the Rams and it, it, look it could be right or wrong but in this case the sharpest bettors have been on the Rams since opening here and I think there's been a negative narrative about the Green Bay Packers since last year when they were the they Everyone's too 13, thirteen and three. How could they possibly replicate it? But they basically almost did again this year. But for whatever reason, all the stats don't line up. And the sharpest betters have not liked Green Bay now for two years, and they really don't like them this week against the Rams.
1: That's Matty Holt. We're straight out of Vegas. Now you just said something I haven't heard. And Feds, I want to get your take on this. Prior to this game, would you say the sharpest batters across the season have been anti Green Bay? Because I know they were last year. I didn't get that sense this year.
4: I don't know if it was as much all year, but I certainly didn't feel like they were ever on Green Bay.
1: That's interesting. Now, Fez, you, in my opinion, never... You were down in Panama for, what, four months once, consulting (laughs) with a bookmaker? But not an official bookmaker, because, again, you couldn't be in this club. We got one exception we made to that. (laughs) But you follow the screen, as they say. So, pregame.com has a free screen, there's other ones out there, and you say, oh, look, look at that move, look at that move, and you get to feel what's happening. Almost like a doctor looking at the EKG, right? But it's your financial health you're monitoring. Yes. What have you seen with the Packers this season? Has the Sharps been neutral? Like, what's your take?
3: My take is that more often than not, when there was a move, it was against Green Bay. But most games didn't have a move. But when there was one, an example, remember when the Packers played the Bears and that line was six, came all the way down to four. So there were a few select points that the Sharps absolutely wanted to go against Green Bay. But for the most part, I think the, the, the Sharps have felt that the Green Bay was roughly correctly valued in most games.
1: How do you know it's a well, It's a fake. Yeah, I know what a gaze is. The Green Bay Packers are Fugazi. You know what's funny? I came in today ready to pitch the Packers as a best bet. Mm. So here's what I think we'll do. And and I want us to think about this because there's one key point to this. And there's a guy that uh, he's done a lot of different things, like YouTube kind of, Adam Chernoff, I think is his name. He's the first guy that said this. And it really, I listened and it made a lot of sense. And I love to listen to a lot of stuff because, Often, you know, eighty percent of them have heard a hundred times, and say, like, okay, okay, okay. But then you get that fresh stuff, and and when I do, I really try to think it through because then I try to add it to my arsenal. Is this something I'm going to handicap with? And his point was that if you look at the Rams and the strength of the opposition, so their defense against the other offenses, because the defense is the key here, right? For the Rams, you would say, ah, pretty decent. Offense has been pretty decent. But they're looking at the season-long stats for the opposition. So let's use Arizona, the last game they play the regular season. Against Arizona, that is like the 17th best offense. So they did well against the 17th. But it wasn't Kyler Murray starting. Hey. It was the unknown backup. <laughs> that no one seems to know his name. <laughs> that one guy, you remember his name? Stedler. I think that was in American Pie. You're thinking. <laughs> but but the rea- but the reality is that there were six instances throughout the year in which they didn't
0: play the best quarterback from the opposing team. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific.
1: We're straight out of Vegas.
2: And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. So, RJ, we are looking ahead to all the games in the NFL. The divisional round of the playoffs are here. We are looking at the Rams and the Packers. The other game on Saturday is the night game between the Ravens and the Bills. Right now, Buffalo's a two-and-a-half-point favorite on pregame.com.
3: So, Fez, are you, do you have a best bet ready? I do, RJ. The winner. Pick a winner. All right, New Orleans Saints minus three against Tampa Bay. I just think it's a fundamental matchup edge. Now it's three minus fifteen. Yes. You don't. You just act like it's three flat. Minus three minus fifteen. Okay, here. go ahead. Go so, ahead. so these teams played Week One, first game for Brady. Saints won by eleven. I think it's excusable. Yeah. You know? For
1: listen, pandemic year, first game with the Bucs, obviously system integration, all that stuff. Okay.
3: Exactly right. So Week Ten, fast forward to Week Ten. Now well, you could make another
1: point. New Orleans, New Orleans is the worst good team starting the season we've ever seen. Seven, eight years now. Uh You know, they were what, three and 11 or something in the first two games of the year straight up. So, in a way, them winning that game could be stated as, oh my gosh, that's a sign of like how good the Saints team is that even early in the year they won the game. But it also speaks to the idea maybe the Saints' problems have been lack of focus early, but they were so focused because it was Tampa Bay.
3: Exactly right. So, fast forward to week 10, and now it's Tampa Bay that has the focus. Tampa Bay is the team that got embarrassed week one. You would expect their best ever.
1: And remember, this is an interdivision matchup in which the Saints have dawned. It's almost like if you're getting beat up year after year and finally your crew gets some guy that the karate kid shows up or something. Now you're
3: thinking, this is the year we finally kick their butt. And lo and behold, 31-0 at halftime. And so often when you see a blowout like that, you get a punt block, things go against you. You're unlucky. I could make the case Tampa got lucky early in the game. The Saints actually fumbled on the one yard line going in in the first quarter, or it would have been 38 to nothing.
1: So, best bet, Steve Fezzik, Saints minus three, minus a little extra Vig. Maddie, you got the whole card to choose from. What's your best bet?
4: New Orleans Saints Ooh. minus three, Double minus 115. Up. I, I, do you disagree with anything Steve said? No, I, I agree with everything he said. I, I just think if you look at the the last six weeks individually, the New Orleans Saints defense the best defense in the NFL as well. And the one thing that everyone's held their hat on with the Tampa Bay side here is, well, they've been so good against the run. Yes, but they also number one in the league with opponents rush play percentage. Opponents only run the ball 34% of the time against Tampa Bay. So some of their rush numbers per game in terms of yards allowed, uh, rushing touchdowns, all those stats where Tampa Bay looks really good. It's because they haven't played teams that historically run the football against them. I think New Orleans run offense is moving really well. People might have got a bad impression of the New Orleans Saints offense against the Chicago Bears. Because let's face it, New Orleans played a very, low-variance game Mm -hmm. against the Chicago Bears last week.
1: They did that, obviously, against Denver. Denver, yeah. And it seems to me that Sean Payton has reached another level this year, because the only coach that I don't understand the connection between the stats and the scoreboard is Belichick. I think Sean Payton's getting to a point now. He makes decisions for a reason I don't fully understand, but it increases the chance they win the game. Correct. And to me... I don't know another. I mean, Andy Reid's great drawing up plays and all that, but his, his, the way they win and lose makes sense to me. It feels like the Saints are at a different level. And what other coach is able to have a backup quarterback? So what is it now eight and one or whatever the last two years with a backup? Doesn't matter who the backup is; it's fine. I mean, you know. So I'm flabber. Now I'm saying this with a smile, but you were anti-Drew Brees early in the year. Have you come around on that, or you think the Saints are just so good it doesn't matter?
4: I think their defense is so good, but I have come around on Breeze a bit.
1: And this will be, you know, its always could be his last game because the theory yep. is he's going off to mm-hmm. broadcasting. We're straight out of Vegas. I'm going to give a counterpoint, but real quick, we're down to our last minute, Maddie. Wouldn't you say the early action has been on Tampa, right? Because, I mean, they opened up four, yep. three. But remember, now it's three. You guys wouldn't necessarily want to lay three and a half or four. But now at three, it's when we're betting. And that's the difference with paramutual, like horses and stuff. Everyone gets the same odds. No matter when you bet. Here, obviously you bet at four, you got four. Well, you guys are betting at three. Do you Fez, real quick, do you see this line moving in any direction? I I think
3: it's gonna leak back up to three and a half, actually.
1: Okay, so if you do like agree with you guys with the Saints, bet it now. Yes. Only thing that concerns me is this. Post buy, there was a big talk about how the Bucks were gonna benefit from the buy. They played a lot of kind of weak teams but looked good. Last week, they looked good. Washington played hard, and that offense looked good for Brady. Really good. I think that's a sign that it wasn't just the weak teams they played. The Bucks are better than they were earlier in the year, but I still lean Saints with you guys.